Those of you joining us online, thank you for tuning in, and God bless you. Amen. Do want to just mention, of course, our services this coming weekend. Want to make an announcement regarding a slight change that you will notice, and that is we've been typically for the last few years, we start at 1030 for first word, and then at 1110, take a 10-minute break, come back at 1120. However, our children's ministry, youth ministry, and discipleship ministry, which all will use sometimes the first word to um, you know, teach classes and so forth, uh, have mentioned that they could use another 10 minutes. And so what we're going to do is Sunday first word will be 1030 to 1120, 10-minute break, and then we will start worship at 1130, okay? So we're adding 10 minutes into our schedule, um, but... It's as well to ensure that our children have a good time to be able to learn, our teens, and of course those who are in discipleship classes as well. Now, we will do our part to respect your time as well and, and not go till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, but I just want to say this just as of observation that many times I've seen a lot of people hanging around talking and talking and talking and communicating and fellowshipping and talking long after service has been dismissed. So I don't think 10 minutes is going to be too much of a deal, but I will keep my hand on that pulse to make for sure with our leadership team, okay? So again, slight change, 10.30, first word, 11.30 will now be worship, okay? Everybody understand all that? Amen and amen. By the way, I just want you to know that was not a unilateral decision made by myself. That was a collaborative decision made by our entire team that got together to discuss this in quite a lot of detail, both by text and in person. So just so you know, we're not just flippantly changing things just to change them. So, amen. Everybody say, that's really awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, amen. So glad you're here tonight again. We're going to dismiss our children our students and I believe our ladies have one more class if ladies want to go. Otherwise, everyone is welcome to stay in here uh, with me. Uh, Pastor Jeremy was supposed to teach tonight, um, but he is one of the ones out sick. So we will keep him in our prayers, of course, uh, in Jesus' name. For those of you that are staying in the sanctuary with me, and of course, those of you online, I'm going to direct our attention to Matthew chapter 9 beginning at verse number 35. Amen. Matthew 9, 35. And I'll begin reading there through verse 38. <clears throat> the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. And were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And for just a little moment of your time tonight, I want to teach and preach on this thought. Laborers in the Lord's harvest. Amen. Why don't we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you for this church. And God, not just this collective body here, but the global church at large that you died for and uh, gave yourself for. We thank you for that, Lord. It's your church, not ours. We love you. 
Thank you for your word that alone saves, heals, and delivers us tonight, Jesus. Your word is both anointed and appointed for this moment. Lord, without you, we are nothing. So let there be a demonstration of your spirit and confirm your word with signs following. Let me walk in your spirit tonight and not in my flesh. In Jesus' name I pray. And would you say amen? Amen and amen. Well, the verses that God led me to tonight for our text come on the heels of Jesus healing a mute man who was possessed with a devil. The multitudes had marveled at what Jesus had done and, and were awed at his authority and power. And yet, as it turned out and as it often was, the religious leaders ridiculed Jesus for what he had done, even claiming he himself had a devil. And he, he did this through Satan, the prince of devils. But rather than argue and debate with the Pharisees and, and hold a theological conference and let them know the error of their ways, Jesus just kept on going about doing miracles. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He just, I'm just going to keep doing miracles. You want to argue with me? You want to say things? That's okay. I'm not going to let it bother me. I'm going to keep on doing what I know to do. And I'll I tell you what, we can take a lesson from Jesus. We don't have to respond to everything that happens in life. Amen? We, we, we can allow ourselves to experience things and not have to react to them. We can just keep doing good despite what others say. Our vision for this year, 2023, is others. You've seen the cars, you've heard the messages, you've, you've seen the social media. You understand what this vision is. In fact, last month, Pastor Trevor taught and challenged us how to apply that to our mission, which is connect, grow, serve, lead. How we apply that to others. This month, and again, Pastor Jeremy's out tonight sick, but uh, he will be encouraging and teaching us on how uh, to share the message of Jesus Christ and how to love others and knowing about the Lord of the harvest and what it means to then share this with others. Others are your neighbors, your coworkers, and your friends. Others are those that you meet at the grocery store, the gas station, restaurants, and throughout life. Some of those others vote like you. Some of them don't vote like you. Some of them don't vote at all. Some of those others are of a different ethnicity than you, and some are of the same ethnicity. Yet despite all of the differences or similarities of others, everyone needs and everyone deserves to hear the everlasting gospel. Amen? Whether they're rich or poor, whether they're young or old, single or married, whether they've been in jail or not jail, whether they're out of jail or going to jail, the fact is everyone deserves to hear the apostolic message of hope and faith and love. Amen? Praise God. And so there's others all around you that make up the vast number of souls ready to be saved. And I would say to you Jesus' words in John 4, 35, don't say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, Jesus said, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. I believe that with all of my heart. The harvest is vast around us and it's ready to be harvested. It's waiting on laborers, amen, to go forth into the Lord's harvest and see God do a miracle, amen? How many of you know Jesus is coming back? 
And He's coming back for a bride who has made herself ready. And Jesus also wants His house to be full. He told a parable in which those who were invited did not show up and came up with all sorts of excuses. And so He sent out the people to invite from the byways and highways and to compel people to come in. And he says, that my house may be full. Can I tell you, Jesus wants a full house. Hallelujah. And so since he's the Lord of the harvest, and since it's his harvest, and since he wants a full house, will you help me? And together we will reach others. Amen. Our text tonight, we're going to go through it a little bit here, reveals three things that we can do to answer Jesus' call to reach others. If you have your Bibles open, this is Bible study. So let's open up Matthew 9. Let's look again at verses 37 and 38. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So let's break this down. The harvest is plenteous. This is a Greek word that means a large number, great, or many. So I wanted to make this even more personable to Omaha Metro. And according to newgeography.com, and I, I did all these research stats today, Omaha Metro is the seventh fastest growing metropolitan area in the United States. Ever since 1950, Omaha has recorded positive growth in its population. Not one year has there been negative growth in the Omaha metro area. The current metropolitan population, which includes eight counties, five of which are in uh, Nebraska and five, three are in Iowa, totals 1,014,162, and that was as of 2022, according to eomahaforums.com. So... TCOO, we live in a metropolitan area that fulfills Jesus' words about the harvest. It is indeed plenteous. But, sadly, the laborers are few. Again, look this up in the Greek. It means a relatively small number. Now, as it is with the United Pentecostal Church, of which we're affiliated with, in Omaha Metro, there are six self-governing churches, three daughter churches or daughter works, and three preaching points. These are working together to reach an ever-growing number of people. There's also three independent apostolic works that I'm aware of in Omaha Metro. So these 15 works, and again, I, I did all the numbers today, total about 850 saints. This means for every one saint in these 15 works, there are 1,200 citizens to be reached. Now, I am grateful for the growth of the Church of Omaha. I just had a meeting last night with Brother Mario and, and a Bible study and, and discussion about uh, you know, launching a, a full-blown Spanish service on Sunday evenings because of the growth and the desire that's there. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful to hear the good reports of our French church across town that's continuing to grow. And they just baptized somebody last week. 
or two weeks ago rather, and they have more to baptize. I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful when I hear of, of new works being developed across the Omaha metro and more that are being uh, planned. But let me say, we need more laborers. All of the best minds who study church planting say we need one church for every 10,000 people. That means with the current 15 works we have, we need 87 more churches in Omaha Metro alone to reach the population where it is now. Not its continued growth track, where it is now. If right now God miraculously gave us 87 more churches, we would beat the need now, but we would have to continue growing to continue meeting that need. Does that make sense? Let me tell you what that means and break it down for just a minute. That means we're going to have to make sure we get along. Well, maybe I need to preach this at Nebraska Conference too, right? <laughs> Maybe, maybe what we need to understand about this is it has to be about the kingdom and not about our castle. Amen? I'm not afraid if more churches come in because there's a lot of people dying and going to hell. And I'm not here to deplete other churches and bring them over here. I want to see every church grow. And I also know this, a rising tide lifts all ships. And so as we grow, others are going to grow almost by default, you might say. And so the laborers are few. The harvest is plenteous. We've got a job to do, don't we? Amen. So what do we do? Well, we can pray specifically for laborers. And that's what Jesus did. Because of the vast harvest and few laborers, we must focus our efforts on praying for God to send forth laborers in the harvest. Let me just pause right here and say, please don't pray for more harvest. There's plenty of harvest. Pray for God to send forth laborers. Okay? And by the way, it's interesting that he uses the word laborer here and not Worker, you say, well, what's the difference? They sound similar, and in some sense they are. A worker, though, is more in line with a hireling who gets paid a wage and is only interested in working to receive that wage. Whereas a laborer is invested in the vision of the company, and although he or she receives a wage, is, is interested in the success of that company. Does that make sense? And so he doesn't want us to be workers that punch a clock and can't wait for five o'clock to come so we can go home and we're, we don't care about the company, i.e. the church. He wants laborers who we will be rewarded for our work, but that's not our motive. Our motive is for the success of the church. And so we are to be laborers. Now, I want to point out something else. Notice what it says in Matthew 9. And verse 38, I'm going to read it again. Pray you therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Everybody say his harvest. It's God's harvest. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's God's harvest. Here's what that means. That means when we baptized somebody a couple weeks ago from our French church, the church scored, if I can use that terminology. Terminology. 
Even though it wasn't a part of this English-speaking church, the church scored. A few weeks ago in Brazil, some of my friends went down to Manaus, Brazil, and I believe the number was 12,000 received the Holy Ghost. Guess what? The church can celebrate 12,000 more people born again. Amen? Even though that wasn't my church, even though that wasn't in my city, the church has grown. Praise the Lord. It's God's harvest. Now, a few years ago, in fact, 2019 to be exact, around this time of year, I, had, I was on my way to General Conference and uh, actually was there at General Conference when God spoke the word to me. So again, give or take, within a few weeks, it was about this same time in 2019. And the Lord spoke these words to me. If you do what you can, I, the Lord, will do what I can. Well, I know my limits. I know what I can do. He never sleeps or slumbers, but I need my sleep, right? I mean, yes, you know, I, I can do a good job of, of leading this church with the team I've got and leading the district with the team I've got, but, you know, I know my limits, but God can lead the whole world. I can't save anybody. I can pray for them. I can speak the word of faith. I can teach them a Bible study. I can invite them. I can do all that, but it's up to God to save them. It's his harvest. And so I'm going to do what I can and let God do what he can. Amen. So ultimately, and I know I've shared a lot of numbers here tonight, a million people and all of that. But let me just say this before I move on. It is our job to be obedient, not successful. And I use that term because we think of terms of success in worldly terms. You know, how many, I haven't heard this question for a long time and I'm thankful for it, but years ago, the, the going question among pastors was, how many are you running? I hate that question. In fact, Brother Matt, I've been asked that question before. You know what I tell people? All of them. I'm running all of them. We lived in Caribou and we started with eight people and, and in the, in the uh, county we were in, that area, that little region, there was about 8,000 people between Caribou and and, 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 you know, some of the neighboring little townships and stuff. So I'd tell people, oh, we're in between eight and 9,000. They say, really? Yeah, between eight and 9,000. Somewhere in that range. I mean, we're running. You know the best question to ask? How many people are being discipled for Christ? How many people are getting a Bible study and teaching one? That's the better question. So our job is to be obedient. God measures success by our faithful obedience. Yes, we will track numbers. We will take attendance. We will keep track of our ever-growing population. And we will try our best to plant as many churches and reach as many people as we possibly can. But we have to understand and never forget that no one comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. Let me just, let me just get, tell you something that has happened on numerous occasions. And I've talked to numbers of pastors, including uh, Brother Graham, who even though he's not pastoring now, uh, did pastor at one time. And we even talked about it when he was here this weekend. It never fails. We'll witness on that side of town and somebody from that side of town will come. And then we'll go to that side of town and somebody over here will come. We'll knock on these apartment complex doors over here and, and somebody from those over there will come. And I don't think God is doing that to play a trick with us. 
I think he's honoring our efforts to go out and do something. But he's the one drawing people. Does that make sense? I got a report today, and I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was, I want to say, around 200 people uh, on just this last month searched on our Google uh, for churches near me, and our church came up, and they clicked on it and you know, followed it to our website and things like that. People are searching. People are hungry. People come all the time. In fact, I think Brother Donnie and I were talking a few months back, and some upwards of 85 to 90% of the people that come have come because they've seen something online. So that's why we make an effort to have a social presence to market to that community. But again, it's God who does the drawing and it's God who does the feeling. I'm just going to be faithfully obedient. Let me sum it up by saying this. Mother Teresa uh, is famous for this quote. God did not call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. And if we'll be faithful, we'll be successful in God's eyes and he'll take care of of adding to the church. Does that make sense? All right. So the second, so that was Jesus prayed, okay? That was point number one. Let's now go to verse uh, 36. Point number two is Jesus saw. Watch this. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. So again, let's, let's break this down a little bit further. Jesus sees the multitudes. Can I just pause here and tell you that you will never observe others unless you're among them? You cannot see the multitudes if you're not rubbing shoulders with them. You cannot see the need unless you're there with them. Jesus had eyes to see the need. How many times do you read where he was moved with compassion or he, he felt the need or he saw the need and he ministered to it? Sadly, some of us are focused on personal, selfish, or earthly things rather on the interest of Jesus and reaching people. Christ also had his eyes fixed on eternity. Amen. We need to do the same. Some people have said, well, it's harder to witness that now than it was then. Well, first of all, I don't know how we've come up with that conclusion. I don't know of any way that we can interview Paul, Peter, James, John, or any of the others that might have witnessed back then. Um, but let me just talk for a little bit about some of these. Jesus was crucified for sharing the gospel. Um, every disciple of Jesus was put to death with the exception of John the Baptist, who was persecuted, but as far as we know, died somewhat naturally. Much of the church was persecuted and many of them killed. My point is this. I've done a lot of witnessing. I've been yelled at. I've had a door slammed in my face or two. Um, you know, I've been called a couple of names and whatnot, but I've never been killed. And I'm not saying it's not possible. Certainly, persecution exists. Certainly, there are Christians being challenged and persecuted and even killed for their faith, but... A lot of us aren't. And, and we're in a country where it's okay to share your faith. It may, not, it may make you unpopular with some people. But our goal is not to please people, but rather to please the Lord. Jesus was moved with compassion. I, I love that statement because what it means is he, he felt their need. He, he was 
literally touched to the point of feeling what they felt, the grief, the shame, the guilt, the pain, the hurt, the sin, the heaviness, all of it. He felt it so much so that it affected him internally. You know, we've often said to people, I know how you feel. And sometimes that's a true statement. You've experienced something similar and you're, and you're consoling that person, you know, and we understand that. But, but literally Jesus could feel what they were feeling to the point that he was moved with compassion to do something about it. He had a heart for the lost and a heart for the world. He felt their deep need within and did take action. Can I say that we will never witness for Christ unless we're close enough to Jesus to feel as he feels and care as he cares? When our hearts are fixed on pleasing us, there's little room for caring about those who are dying without Jesus. But when we draw close to Jesus, we feel his heartbeat and his love for a lost world. Amen? Can I tell you also our job is to bring them to Jesus? It's his job to heal them and fix them and save them. Praise God. It's not our job to judge them. It's our job, to, our job to love them and show them who Jesus is. And while we want to invite them to church, we should also bring church to them. Don't, don't wait for a special event. Don't wait for the next revival. Don't wait for a you know, crusade event. Bring Jesus to them as well. Amen. Jesus here in the context of verse 36, is specifically observing that they were faint, confused, helpless, wandering aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd. Truly and sadly, this is the condition of our society today. People go about their lives without knowing about the transformative hope and healing promised through Jesus Christ. But as well, this illustration of a sheep without a shepherd points to the lack of spiritual leadership in Israel. Again, this comes on the heels of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, ridiculing Jesus and saying that he only did this by the prince of devils. These religious leaders failed to exemplify the true nature of God and caused what we describe today as church hurt. Some of you may remember in 2019 and again in 2021, our church took about three months of each of those years out to, uh, I, I preached a series on encounters with uh, Jesus and shared a short 15 or so minute message. And each time, each Sunday, two to three, sometimes four people would share their testimony. I would sit right there and time and again, my heart would break as I listened to people. And, and, and many of their testimonies included some element of church hurt. And I'm grateful that they had you know, persevered through it and that they could testify that, that, you know, they're here today despite what had happened. But unfortunately, many have experienced it who are not. And so I'm grateful that as he sees this and observes this, Jesus himself, who is the good shepherd, who will lay down his life for the sheep, calls upon the leadership of his church to shepherd the flock of God like he does. And so I say that to tell you, I will do my best to be the, the best under-shepherd I can 
that to be like Jesus, that when you see me, you see a reflection of him loving and serving and leading his church to hope and healing. Amen. The third thing that we want to look at tonight is verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease among the people. This is, again, the third thing that we discover from our text, and it's that Jesus went. So he prayed, he saw, he went. Well, let's break this down a little bit further. He went to cities that would represent your larger metropolitan areas. Jerusalem was such a place. Rome, although he didn't go there, was such a place. Um, uh, the, uh, the Decapolis, you've, you've heard maybe that term or read that in Scripture. That just means the ten cities. That was a metro area near Galilee in the Sea of Galilee. And so that's what he's indicating. Villages would indicate the smaller rural areas, the, the townships, the small towns that, that we see dotted across our landscape today. So he went to cities. He went to villages. He taught and preached. I like that because it, it, it's both. Sometimes we teach. Sometimes we preach. Here's the basic difference. Preaching is inspirational. Teaching is informational. Does that make sense? And we need both to succeed in Christ. And what did he preach specifically? The gospel of the kingdom. And he healed all sicknesses and all diseases. And I want to emphasize all there. Again, if you look at the verse, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I'm thankful he's still a healer today. Now, Jesus compels and commissions us to do the same. We are ambassadors for his kingdom. We are to go into all the world, preaching the gospel to every living creature, discipling people, making disciples of all nations, fully expecting God to confirm His word with signs following. Amen? Jesus began, began and ended His ministry preaching and teaching the kingdom. You can see this in Matthew 4.17 and Acts 1 and 3. His first message was about the kingdom. His last message before he ascends is about the kingdom. And everything in between, every parable, every time he talked, it was always about the kingdom. So much so that in Mark 4.11, he said unto you, it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Amen. A kingdom, very simply, is a domain of a king. It includes all the wealth and the land and the subjects of the rule and the reign under that king. Another word describing kingdom then could be dominion. The king has dominion throughout his kingdom and all are subject to his authority. In the Garden of Eden, God gave man authority to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish, and to subdue. And yet Adam abdicated that authority. Each of those words indicated a kingdom purpose. But sadly, Adam surrendered that and his right by disobeying God. However, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, came to restore a kingdom. So God gives dominion to his church. Have you ever met somebody and they've said to you, man, there's something different about you? Right? Right? It's because they sense something in their own spirit because we live in a spirit world. They can relate to it and understand it. We are an ecclesia, a church that is appointed and anointed to be God's governmental authority on earth. 
but it's not a kingdom of this earth. And that means we must establish God's ways and customs in our community. Culture does not dictate to the church. Culture does not mandate to the church. We are to dictate the orders of the king of kings. Amen. So Jesus went everywhere preaching and teaching and expects us to do the same. Well, I'm not called to preach. That's okay. Do you have a testimony? Has God saved you? Has he healed you? Has he filled you? Then you can preach that testimony. You don't have to be called to preach. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to get a minister's license. You can preach, i.e. testify of what Jesus has done for you. And it's really this simple. This is who I was before Jesus. This is what he did when he saved me and I was baptized and filled. And this is who I am now. It's that simple. You fill in the blank. You add a couple of verses of, that stand out to you of what all God did. And you can share your testimony with others. And here's why that's important. I can tell your testimony for you, but I didn't live it. It won't have the same effect. But when you tell it, you lived it. You experienced it. You were there. And it'll mean that much more to those whom you tell that testimony to. Just recently, my son, in fact, while he was here for the wedding of his sister, he and Jessica uh, had uh, accepted a position at, a, at another church there in St. Louis, and they're now youth pastors at that church. And so they had to go back early Sunday morning to get to their home church now to be blessed and prayed for and commissioned to go. And then this coming Sunday, of course, they'll be at their new church. Well, a couple weeks ago, he had to preach a message. I think it was actually last week on, this, on, on the Wednesday night. And one of the things that he was telling me that he did was, while well, he was studying for it and preparing for it and then delivering it, that he brought out something that happened to him when he was 11, and God had called him to preach, and, and how that, that calling to preach and that moment uh, and, and its fulfillment, you know, now coming to pass now as he's 27, and, you know, so that's... What is that? Uh, you know, 16 years later, you know, and that experience, he was using that as a point. Little did he know that somebody was in the youth group that night that at 11 years old, God had begun dealing with them about their own call to preach. And so his own testimony connected to that. Now, if I'd have told that story and I'm the preacher, it might not have had the same effect. But Braxton, who lived it telling that story, Added an element of connection. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, tonight I've done something that I've never done in, in my preaching, uh, you know, experience, career, whatever you want to call it. I started preaching with 1987. Uh, I've been preaching for a long time. And I looked through all my notes and, and as much as I could today. I don't remember ever doing what I did tonight. But I'm going to tell you what I did in just a minute here. Some of you may have noticed, and maybe some of you didn't, and some of you now are wondering, what did you do? Well, let me just say, I didn't preach false doctrine. That's one thing I didn't do. I won't do that. Okay? <laughs> but here's what I did. I went backwards. Open your Bibles with me real quick, please. If you got your Bibles out, and I know some of you might have them on your phone, you know, again, you can scroll. That's, that's a biblical word, scrolling, right? You know? <laughs> Just don't be playing on Facebook while, you're, while I'm preaching. 
Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went about. That was the last point I made. Matthew 9, 36. Jesus saw, but when he saw, that was the second point. And verse 37 when he, and 38, when he talked about the harvest and prayed and told us how to pray, that was my first point. I went backwards. I didn't do that accidentally. I did it on purpose. And I did that because earlier today, after Pastor Jeremy had reached out to me uh, requesting prayer and, and uh, asking me to cover for teaching tonight, I, I began to seek the Lord as to what he would want me to do and the vein in which he would want me to teach. And uh, last September, we prayerfully set in order that we felt like this month was going to be something along the lines of being the Lord of the harvest, evangelism, mission, all of that. And so knowing that and understanding, I prayed to that end and God began to open my understanding to something. And here's what he spoke to me. We love to pray about the harvest even to the point of praying for laborers to go into the harvest. And can I tell you that while prayer is vital and important, that's easy for us to do. If I call a prayer meeting and say, Omaha continues to grow, let's have a prayer meeting about the harvest, most of you would show up. We've had good success with other prayer revivals that we've had in this church, and I'm thankful for that. I talk to some pastors that, you know, say they run 100 people, in a, you know, in, in their membership role. They have a prayer meeting and five people show up. You know, we, we've had many times just as many people show up on a Wednesday as do on a Sunday, and, and a large majority show up for a prayer meeting, and I'm grateful for that. But it's easy to pray for the harvest. In fact, it's even easy to see the need all around us. When I was going through the stats here tonight and talking about a lot of it, you were probably picking up on some things and, oh yeah, 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 wow, it's growing and it is getting bigger and there's new development in my area and all this other stuff. It's easy to see that need. It's also sometimes easy to assume or hope that somebody else will meet the need. But you know what's hard? It's hard to go. But that's what Jesus did. But he did that first. I presented it as last. But that's the first thing he did. He just went. As he went, as he preached, as he healed, as he taught, he saw that the need was greater than he may have anticipated. And was moved with compassion that so many people were aimlessly wandering around as a sheep without a shepherd. And then he taught his disciples that when you pray, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. He didn't pray first. He went first. Please, I'm not diminishing prayer. Sister Nancy, thank you for everything you've done to raise prayer to a high level in our church and keep it there. We need to make sure prayer is our number one priority. But can I tell you, sometimes we've just got to go. And if we'll go, we'll see the need and it'll compel us to pray more. It's kind of like the, the uh, lepers, uh, the four lepers outside of the, in the camp. You know, if we sit here, we die. If we go back into the city, we die. And if we go to the camp of the enemy, we die. We might as well do something. Amen? 
And so I come to you tonight to say, let's do something. Can I also say this, and please hear my heart and know my spirit tonight. Let's be sure we don't use prayer as an excuse to keep us from acting. I'm all about praying, and I, I promise you, I'll join you at the prayer meeting. I'll join you in every effort and, and pray for strength and anointing and all of those things. You see, it's easy to pray for laborers. It's hard to be one. So, what is your response tonight? Will you just go? Teach somebody, reach somebody, love somebody, help somebody, talk to somebody. Math was not my favorite subject. But I'm smart enough to know that let's just assume there's 40 people in here tonight, right? That if each one of us reached another one of us, that double us, Right? See, sometimes we think, oh, there's such a vast majority of people. In. And I, I presented it tonight, and, and it is. It's an ever-growing population that we live in. And I'm glad we need to see that big picture. But can I tell you also, we need to also see the small picture. How many times did Jesus stop and just bless or help or heal one? The the crowds were thronging him and one touched his you know garment and he paused for her he was on his way for one whose daughter's uh, daughter was uh, believed to be dead and, and had died and so right I'm, I'm not going to get overwhelmed by the million plus people what I am going to do is I'm going to try to reach one and when I reach that one I'm going to try to reach another and if all of us had that same mindset what would happen? What would be different this Sunday? What would be different next month? What would be different next year? If all of us adopted a let's just go. Jesus went, let's go. I started this message by telling you that the, the, the context of what I read comes on the heels of him healing a mute man possessed by, devil, by a devil and the crowds marveling and the religious leaders mocking. Jesus doesn't respond to either. He doesn't say, yeah, I'm all that. You need to book me for your next big conference here and talk to my secretary and get me, get me on your agenda. Nor does he argue with the religious leaders and said, okay, let's go have a debate about this. He just, you know, you guys can argue all you want. I'm going to go and just keep touching and healing and saving and reaching people. So maybe if we did the same. Hallelujah. This world is not my home. I'm going to vote next year, just like I hope all of you will too. But I'm not going to get caught up and hung up in all the garbage that is politics. I've got a, I've got a world to reach. I've got people to love. Amen? A few weeks ago, I shared something. I want to share it again. When they tried to trap Jesus, this happened many times, they asked him about, you know, taxes and all this. And he says, do you have a coin? 
Yeah. Whose, whose image and inscription are on it? Caesar's. Or render to Caesar that which is Caesar, and to God's that which is God. You know what he was saying? What does your life, what is the image and inscription that your life bears? Right? Does it bear Christ? The inscription, that's the words. It is the word of God and himself what your image and inscription are? Then render that to God. In other words, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. So what is your response tonight to the Lord of the harvest? Will you go? Will you observe the great need that is there? And will you pray for God to send others to help? In 2019, when I came back from General Conference, with that word in my spirit, if you'll do what, you know, if I do what I can, God will do what he can. We began training people to teach Bible studies. As of tonight, since that time, about 35, maybe almost 40 people have taught 291 people a Bible study. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for that, but I want to see that number grow. I want to see more people actively engaged in teaching Bible studies, and I want to see more Bible studies taught. Why? Because it's planting seed. It's getting ready. And when God says it's time for that harvest, it's coming in. Amen? So what is your answer tonight? You have a coworker, a classmate, a neighbor, a friend? Is there somebody in that harvest that you can just go to and expect God to reach them? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we stand together? I know it's a little early. And I'm going to ask us just if we could to, to first pray together. I'm going to just pray verbally and publicly here. But if you would just pray as well with me. And then before we start communicating and fellowshipping and talking and all of that, can you just ponder for just a moment? Can you meditate for just a moment? on God's word and what you can do to answer the call to go. Lord Jesus, I've delivered tonight what you have placed into my spirit and I too am convicted by your word. Now I pray that you would help convert me, that I might act, that I might go, that I might step out and not hide behind any reasons or excuses, but just go as the, truly the harvest is plenteous, but laborers are few. Help me to remember that you are the Lord of the harvest, and it's your harvest. Help me to remember, Lord, that you will judge me on faithful obedience, and the numbers are up to you. The success is up to you. Help me, O oh God, tonight, and help all of us tonight to respond faithfully and obediently to become laborers in your harvest, Lord. I ask this and I pray this, believing in Jesus' name that you will strengthen us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I love and appreciate each of you. I pray that God would help you tonight. And so, again, just take a moment, process this, and then fellowship. And if you need some prayer cards, there's some out on the booth. You can take them with you. Uh, hang them on a door. Reach people. Talk to people. 
God bless you. I love you in Jesus' name.